Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Each month, over 80,000 people download podcasts produced from the fevered mind of Royfield Brown. They cover a gamut of topics, like maps, politics, American presidents, history, the archers, Formula One, Jamaican culture, and Englishness. Go to wherever you get your podcast and type in Royfield Brown to discover a new favorite podcast today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. Greetings Royfield, Jacqueline and everyone in Dumpty Dum Land. Jen here. Not calling in about the archers this week, calling in about one of our community. I had just had the very sad news that Owen Kiffin, uh, Pipsqueak from the Twitters, has died. And first and foremost, condolences to the family. I only know Owen really through the Twittersphere and it's amazing the friendships that can be built up in that way. Owen was an absolute gentleman, he was extremely funny in his tweets about the archers of course and I found his discussion of life on a canal boat and all the ins and outs of that extremely funny as well. But he was so helpful and whenever he could see that somebody was in trouble or they needed help, in my case we were moving my mother from the UK, we had absolute nightmare with her tax situation which was something he knew a lot about and he immediately offered to help. He's just that kind of man. So I think as we've said many times this is a community and it's very sad and quite difficult when one of our number who we don't know in real life dies but we still want to express how much we valued that relationship. This week's Dumpty Dum, this mournful, sad piece of music is from our Stephen Bowden and the podcast is sponsored by Aaron Snow. 
And I think many of us who had communication with Owen over the years would also like to express our condolences to his family. Very sad. Personally, I never met him, but he and his wife has a, have a house not far from here and we communicated quite a lot, especially around his son's wedding. And uh, he was very nervous about making a speech in French. So we had a bit of a thing. Very funny man, a great friend of all the Archers podcasts and a great friend of, of I feel personally that he was my friend. So very sad to hear of his passing at a very young age. This is Dum De Dum, the show about the reality docudrama drama that is centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Millers. I'm the cross-dresser who is Royfield Brown and I'm here today with a nightmare housemate who is... Jacqueline Berto in Brittany, France. Now, on this episode we have a very lovely group of colorinners. We hear from Witherspoon, who is concerned about Adam and Brian, Aaron from Delaware, who is surprised by Shula's absence, David from Carmarthenshire, who has found the archers a bit clunky this week, Christopher McKinney, the voice, who is interested by Helen and Lee's relationship, Marie Bray, who asks what was the point of Jasper Carrots, and formerly cycling Christine, who has questions we also had a last-minute call from Jonah Man Jazz, who talks about our history together. And we will also have a, a return to our regular, hopefully regular, feature from our Stephen, who can be relied upon to explain the ins and outs of some of our favourite Ambridge institutions. Plus, good people, we have Tweet of the Week from our Purple Pumpkin, and we have a social media roundup from Stephen don't forget to search for Dum De Dum on YouTube. You'll be able to find hours of videos where I interview the actors who play the characters on The Archers. And of course, we should be wishing a very warm welcome to the 11 new members of our Facebook group. Now, are we going to talk about Birmingham in April before we start the calls or afterwards? Let's talk about it now. We are meeting in Birmingham in the good old United Kingdom on April the 22nd and 23rd, so Saturday and Sunday. We are having a whole plethora of events with our good friends, the Academic Archers, at the Birmingham Symphony Hall. If you're going to do something, Madame Berto, I say, well, let's push out the boat. Birmingham Symphony Hall, I tell you. I'm impressed. Well, I've, uh, I was impressed when you put the photos out because I'd never seen Symphony Hall in my life. My goodness, you've given me this scared, scaredy cat vibe <laughs> there. It looks a bit posh for us. It, it is posh, but it's nothing's too good for dumpty dummers and fans of the academic <laughs> arches. Starting at nine, going all the way through to six, there's going to be a whole load of panels and events and interviews which you can be a part of, good person. And then in at Saturday evening, we have dinner at the Cozy Club in Brindley Place. Now, if you've never been to Brindley Place, it's wonderful. It's down by the canals in Birmingham. So we're going to go over and have dinner, all of us fans of all things Ambridge, all together, eating together, dining together. And then we'll probably will kind of break off some people, go to the hotel rooms, etc. There's a wonderful little place just down the road called the Gin Vaults. I'm going to take a few dum dumbers down there and we'll have a couple of gins. Then on the next day, on the Sunday, there's going to be a live listen to the archers and a dum dum So, going to be dum dum stuff on the Saturday. Jacqueline and I will be interviewing various people, as well as all the various different academic archers panels. And then, for your edification, on the Sunday, after the live listen, we're going to do dum dum live with Sonny Ormond, 
who plays our Lillian. She's going to be on stage. So if you wanted to hang out with Lillian Bellamy, your chance will happen on April the 23rd. Now, if you go to dumdidum.com, there are links galore. Links galore, I tell you, where you can basically buy your ticket for the weekend, buy your ticket for dinner, and uh, and also see the schedule. Tickets are priced at, for the whole weekend, 90 English pounds, British pounds, sorry. And you can get a ticket just for Saturday and tickets for dinner are priced at 30. So you can get the whole weekend's ticket which is then 60 without dinner if you want. you There's a ticket also for Saturday. Go to dumdidum.com or the Facebook group or the Academic Archers. All the stuff is there. But there's a whole load of textiles and crafting and knitting, <laughs> which I can't quite get my head around. So why don't you tell us about that, madam? In fact, it's not just that. It's the speakers, individual speakers, day by day and events are being promoted daily on our Facebook page. So if you're not part of that, you should get in there, join our Facebook page and look at my daily posts and you will learn a little more about the events and the speakers. Now, yesterday evening, Saturday the 11th of March, I posted a menu of what you can expect should you choose to dine with us at the Cozy Club on Saturday night. The link to that menu and the booking platform is on the Dum Dum website and on our Facebook page. It all looks lovely and astonishing to me as it's equally plant-based, that menu, as meat-based. So book up your places for that toot sweet while the places last. We've got a few places left for the Saturday evening meal, but I have an idea that the Saturday all-day thing might have been sold out, the Saturday-only tickets. But I wanted to talk about this textile project. We're hoping to produce a panel which depends picks our weekend which can be auctioned for charity and I'm asking people who are interested to produce a 20 by 20 centimeter maximum size piece of textile textile art it can be smaller if you wish showing something from Ambridge or the Archers get it to Birmingham and it'll be included in the panel along with the signatures of all the attendees even if you're not coming your signed work can be included now Wake and Kraken is a keen member of both Academic Archers and the Dum Dum, and she has produced an Archers quilt, which she started stitching at a previous Academic Archers conference. I'm hoping to put some photos on our Instagram page tomorrow, and we're going to raffle this quint quilt and hopefully our panel during the weekend, all proceeds which will go to a charity, and that charity will be decided nearer the time. She expressed interest, Nick and Waking Quaken, about a certain charity, which I'm quite okay with, but I need to talk to it to Wyfield and Cara about that. But any stitchers out there, you need to be willing to stitch at the conference, to stitch on the signatures, and also be willing to pay a little bit of money to a charity to win one of the fabulous Academic Archers Dum 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 Mashup Textile Prizes. Goodness. This is the People's Podcast, so we need your Dum Dum Dums. Now, the truth of the matter is we have quite a lot at the moment. So much so that people are emailing me saying, when's my Dum 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 going to come on? I sent it in January. And it is halfway through March. Yes, we do have quite a few. And if you hadn't realised already, what we do is we play play them at least twice. Okay, so we have a backlog. You've been fantastic. But that doesn't mean that you need to slack. Quite simply, a toot your tin whistle or just knock a tune out with family and friends. Be as untuneful as possible. Doesn't really matter. Or if you do have a full orchestra, why don't you give us a full orchestral rendition of Barwick Green? Send it to us via SpeakPike. It will be most welcome. And that is awesome. But first, let's look at the week in Ambridge from our Sui, Queen or Tart. Hey! 
Hello lovely people, it's Siri, Queen or Tart on the Twitters and another week in Ambridge. It's been a funny old week full of cliffhangers from Daniel Thurman who was this week's writer. Ben and Josh were all brotherly with each other. Josh talked Ben down from a panic attack and agreed he's not coming back to live at the stables. Josh and getting some other housemates. This should be fun. Brian was in full flow going through Jenny Darling's clothes until Ian called in Adam and they rescued her paraphernalia so that Brian didn't just turf it out. I feel Adam's pain. My father had me sorting through my mother's clothes just two days after she died. They find a box labelled for the children and then we got a dumpty dum moment. We were treated to a squabble on the, over all of this stuff on Monday with the siblings all demanding things were theirs. Jenny Darling had, of course, expected this and left them with a list, which annoyingly was at the bottom of the box rather than the top. I neither know nor care who got the list at the end of the divvying up, but they seem to be worried about it. Lily is going to move into the stables but doesn't want Freddie in the third bedroom. Joss is pretty keen for it to be him, but she will find someone else. She needs her freedom. I'm sure we're all delighted to find out that Kate is going to stick with Spiritual Home for at least the next few years, so we can listen to a lot more bollocks from her rather than her interfering with the farm. (laughs) Brian had a treatment and is now on course for several, so she'd better keep running it. It is her calling after all. Clever stuff, Brian. The EV station is something that Josh says he will worry about so that Ben doesn't have to, and it's getting attention elsewhere. Jimmus is leading the protest in a very pamphlet-writing kind of a way, and Tony and Helen are concerned about how it might affect the farm shop. Helen has had a miraculous idea to put a window into the dairy so that random passers-by can have a good gawp at Clary Love and Susan while they're working in the dairy. Clary Love is very unimpressed, but Susan sees a chance to show off her performance skills honed on Radio Borsetshire and would like an intercom in store so she can woo the random potential punters into conversation. Oh dear. Lower Loxley will have two new tour guides, astonishingly Oliver and Neil. The Wrinklies have it. Freddie took Nalatando on a new tour where she discovered another cliffhanger moment. Dum, dum, dum. Turns out one of the curated pictures might show a slave ship. Surely three-temperature kettle Russ was responsible for looking at pictures and should have noticed a bit earlier. Elizabeth told Freddie to wait until she got home, but he closed off that bit of the house and put a cloth over it. He did stop short of hacking it off the wall and into bits, but he was officially not happy about it. They faffed about with written explanations as a temporary measure while the trustees are consulted. Susan was a trooper helping Adam with Jenny Darling's clothes and accoutrements, and they found a letter from Adam's father, Paddy, to her. Since all we know about him was he was a farmhand and he had ginger hair, this could bring new information. But really, it was just a lot of gushing about how much he loved and fancied the pants off. Adam read a bit and then threw it away. He did pull it back out of the bin later so that he could decide what to do, and is determined now to find his father. Didn't sound like there were many clues in there, but hey-ho, the Archer's Fairy is bound to sort all that out. We wait with bated breath. Until next week then, my lovelies. Hope it's a good one. Oh, I don't know. I've said this for a couple of weeks now. I just haven't quite got me mojo. I don't know whether me not having me mojo for the Archer's is really my own bio rhythms whether i'm just feeling a little bit yeah down. it's you i think you're jet lagged you're missing the exotic life by the beach 
<laughs> but I was not quite feeling things before I went away. No, I know. Maybe you were ready for that holiday and now you're overcome by jet lag. Mm. You know, but I have to say it was a bit of a funny week for me this week in the Archers. For me to say is I wasn't very enthused by it is quite unusual because usually I take everything at face value and think, oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, that was good. I like that bit. I like that bit. But even I was a bit struggling. I liked the bit with Josh and Ben at ben. the beginning of the week. Josh and Ben, Josh is a good brother to Ben and Ben is a he boy is. who struggled. And so if I was struggling like that, I'd love to have a brother like that. Whereas with mine, it's a, it's the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that is true because at least we were led to believe that Josh is nothing but an evil capitalist. That's the way yeah. he's been portrayed. He's very he's much all, so. And he, when his brother was in distress, very quietly didn't say anything to him and kept on paid his side of the rent, knowing that yeah. he just we had other things to deal with. Is much more considerate than we realise. Yeah, and and that it was, was the point when out. Ben was going through his little crisis. What are your coping mechanisms? Five things you can see, five things you can hear. I even managed to touch Josh, which Uh is kind of at the top of Lakey Hill or whatever. It seems all a bit strange. But, yeah, he was really getting, helping him to focus. What a nice boy. Yeah, and again, this week, that's the reason why we're talking about it. Josh Archer, big thumbs up all around. And you know what? Right, and I know this is going to be one of the panels on the academic archers talking about masculinity. I don't think it's necessarily toxic masculinity but talking about masculinity because i actually think that the theme of the archers at the moment is actually men and dealing with their masculinity i think that the archers is doing a great job because not only are they headlining male mental anguish but also they're doing it in a very soft way as well saying that men can support each other and josh and ben is a real case in point and just for what it's worth I've started watching Love Island, right? Now, I have normally poo-pooed Love Island and reality TV of that ilk, thinking I'm too good for it. But I've been arm-twisted into it, and you know what? I'm actually quite enjoying it. My point of mentioning that is here are some men, British men, all races, all backgrounds, and you should actually see them together really edifying in terms of um, us men. You know what? We're not all terrible. They hug each other. They're there for each other. When one gets kicked out of the house, you see another one like shedding a tear. But they they do touch each other and reaffirm their friendship. It's actually given me hope for the future of mankind. I say that no sense of hyperbole. (laughs) Folks, go watch a bit of Love Island to realise that young men aren't all incels on their computer machine hating on women by any stretch of the imagination. Anyway, back to the archers. Also, the squabbling between the siblings about milk teeth that Jenny had kept and whose doll it was and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I couldn't cope with that. I'm not a sentimental person like that either. I don't Ain't keep that the her. truth. Ain't yeah. that the truth? <laughs> you don't even know me, my What do you Brown. mean? I don't know. You've been podcasting with you for the best Nearly part a of a year. Yeah. yeah, there you go. And known of you since 2014. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I agree, you're not sentimental. No, There's I'm not sentimental. me. But I get I'm a, the feels. I'm a... <laughs> I get the feels about just about everything and everybody. And You're talking about I'm the one who cries the most on this podcast. 
just performative said, when you do it. It's yeah. only performative when you do it. When I do it, it's heartfelt. You, you're crap. Heartfelt. Yeah, crap. No, I'm not. I don't not. keep teeth. <laughs> no way me am either. I keeping me teeth. <laughs> no, there's something about that that makes me feel very squeamish. But good yeah. for Jenny if that's what rocked her boat and all the rest of it. But also, I'm not a hoarder. I don't know about you, about memoirs and things. I have recently cleared out our a cellar of stuff that's been accumulating for the last 40 years. And the former Mrs. B... 40 years. Yeah, 40 years since I bought this house. And 40 years of stuff has been accumulating. And the former Mrs. B kept everything. And so I found boxes with clothes for little children and babies from the late 1970s. Little polyester things. It's very sweet, but why have they been left there for... We've cleared it out. It's all gone. I t- tell you what's interesting. You've only just noticed them now. That, I think... No, because I never felt that corner of the cellar was my... That wasn't, oh, any, that that wasn't was my regime. Limits. Not really so, off so limits. Is that symbolic of your relationship with Loic, then? You know, it's a case of the ghost of the first Mrs. B was haunting the space. No, not at all. It was just Um, that I always felt that I don't, it wasn't my space, my stuff. And now I got rid of it all. It's all gone. Good for you. Good for you. We've got an empty cellar apart from a wine rack, some wine racks and my Christmas decorations. (laughs) And did you think, oh, her taste was a bit off? Did you? I have had a conversation about the toilets <laughs> on Twitter this last week or so, uh, where because Loic has one toilet that I've not redecorated. We have one toilet in this house, and the others have all been uh, zapped and modernised, mainly because the wow. cisterns are broken, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And somebody did tell me that they thought the former Mrs. B had more taste than I did. <gasps> exactly. So there we go. Life as a podcaster. I tell you what, we should dig into this after a you few should. calls. <laughs> Let's get on with them. <laughs> Hello, Ambridge3962. Madame Berto, where do you want to start? In Delaware. Hello, Royfield and Jacqueline. It's Aaron Snow calling again from the great state of Delaware in the USA. I'm not surprised you had to look up the state. We are the second smallest state in the country behind Rhode Island, and you are correct. We are the home state of President Biden. Good catch. You had asked how I found Dumpty Dump. To be honest, I've been aware of it for a while, but I'm somewhat restrained on social media, so I only recently decided to get more involved because I have no one here to discuss the archers with. Okay, let's turn our attention to Ambridge. I've not yet listened to Friday's episode, so I may be a touch behind by the time this airs. First, let's talk about Shula. Did I miss it, or was there no mention that Shula came back for Jenny's funeral? I'm assuming she didn't, because that would have been a great opportunity for her to straighten out the new living situation at the stables. I know we've lost Judy Bennett to retirement, but I really hope we hear from Shula again in some form or fashion. As for what's going on in the stables, I feel like the perfect third person to live with Josh and Lily is Rex. Get him off that godforsaken leaky boat and put him right back in the mix with the youngies. Plus, now that Russ is hopefully gone for good, there may be an opportunity for sparks to fly between Rex and Lily. Although I've secretly always wanted Rex to end up with Pitt. We'll see. I was very excited to see Adam discover the letter from Patty Redmond. Any story that makes good use of the past, especially the distant past, catches my interest. I'm sure that won't be the last we hear of that. Goodness, could Patty still be alive out there somewhere? It would be so interesting for Adam to meet him after all this time. Meanwhile, our dear Kate seems to be at a genuine turning point in her life. 
I've longed for her to mature somewhat in her 40s without losing that wonderful edge that makes her Kate. Maybe Jenny's death is setting the stage for just that kind of transition. Finally, can I just say that I'm continuing to enjoy the growing friendship between Adam, Ian, and Susan? What an odd pairing, but somehow it works. Susan's been wonderful lately, and normally I want to strangle her gossipy neck. Okay, I think that's it for me this week. Talk to you all soon. Thank you, Mr. Snow. Yeah, good call with lots of little points there, Aaron. Thank you for explaining that you you came to us in a roundabout way. So I think the growing friendship between Adam, Ian and Susan is just lovely. It really touched me. Wasn't there some to do about the pizza van and Susan when the pizza van was first going to be a thing? It was you about know, gossip originally. Yeah, I, listen... Any scene with Susan, I'm all up for. Yeah. When I talked about my love of the village shop last week, it was really because of my love of Susan. Yeah. That she is a key character in terms of disseminating gossip, which is fundamentally just information. If you want to get a story from one end of Ambridge to another, Susan generally is in the middle. But Adam this week was... Really harsh with Brian when Brian was going through his, I'm going to sort out all these clothes. As we've said before, everybody grieves in a different way. Everybody looks at things. Some people want to guard things and other people want to get rid of them straight away. But I thought Adam was very harsh with him. But yet when he talked things through with Susan, the softer side of him, it was much more even. Okay, And I think Susan brings out the better side of Adam. Yeah, and I think also Adam just struggles to not be defensive around Brian anyway. Yeah. There's all yeah. he's always prickly. And even though Brian can be too, I think Brian not always can display a much softer side in terms of dealing with Adam. But Adam is always like Brian defensive, no. and, yeah. And he's yeah, immediately he's defensive. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, he had to maybe go away and do his processing and Ian and then Susan kind of helped him with that. Now, but, what do you think also, about the suggestion that Rex might be the third person? I just, yeah, I was like, I don't understand why I don't just didn't think of him first. Wasn't it last week we were like, it's Rex, isn't it? Because isn't he like stuck on some boat yeah, in, somewhere? Yeah, um, a narrow boat. Yeah, and it will bring uh, him literally into the village because not only and is into he... into Lily's arms. I know mm-hmm. you like a bit of love, Mr. Brown. I am the soft yet yeah, out of the pair of us, aren't I? Here we Come go. On. Yeah. Come on. Yes. I think it should yeah. be Rex's lovely character. Rex can fall for Lily. And then the great thing is then they can split the rent because they'll move into the one room and uh, and then they'll have the other room spare to move somebody Although else in. Rex is quite a lot older than Lily and Josh. But- not is a, a natural mix. I don't know. I guess I, it's I ten, years. It's ten years. It's like older. ten years. I'm guessing it's about ten years. But not that it really stops them on the arches anyway. And Lily's got no. form for an older man. She has indeed. All right then. All right. Next caller in a row. I am going to go to where shall I go? Shall I go to Marie Bray? Why not? All right. Now, folks, this is Marie Bray. Now she actually called in last week, but called in as we were recording because we removed our record time. I've trimmed her call just a little, but here is Marie Bray. (laughs) Hi, Marie again here. What was the whole Laurels thing about? It seemed to be like a filler storyline. It was so boring. And Jasper Carrot, he wasn't even funny. So what was the point of having Jasper Carrot on if he's not going to be funny? 
and he was doing a very good impression of Vince and she confused a load of people it's quite funny on the Facebook to see how many people thought it was Vince yeah had me for a bit there too also I thought it was very disappointing that Chelsea didn't take on the volunteers volunteer role because I thought that would add a whole new dimension to her and actually get a huge admiration from Freddie who will then fall in love with her and they'd have a fantastic romance so my plot position down the pan for that one anyway bye for now <laughs> wait a minute did she say tracy but meant chelsea i think she meant chelsea i think she did say chelsea but it was a swallowed chelsea the jasper carrot thing i thought it wasn't a waste of time i agree it did seem to be doing his vince acting but I thought it showed Ben in a light of him in work. And I think that's another part of the story that we're going to see away from Ambridge. The Laurels presumably is in Ambridge. Do no. you know the geography? Uh, no, it's, no, it's somewhere else. I don't know where the else is, though. But it's always been it's always been talked about in Ambridge. And so we, and we've never... Auntie Christine's there. Uh, yeah. Jack was there. Je- Leonard's wife was there. And that's when Jill met Leonard there, didn't mm. they? So... Uh- it's all been yeah. part of the Ant- it, Archer's Ambridge story. But it's a bit like Lower Loxley, because Lower Loxley is not actually in Ambridge. It's just outside, isn't it? Yeah, just you know. outside, yeah. Yeah, but is. anyway, it's somewhere. And there is actually, we should actually go and do some more research. There is actually a published Ambridge map, which there you is. can go and, yeah. Funny and enough, I'm sure I've been looking that. at it this week because well, I'm... not good enough, obviously, because no. you don't know exactly where no, no, it is. I was concentrating on how I could represent it in the textile art. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. And I agree with you. It was to show that Ben's work is pretty hard. It's mentally draining as well as physically draining. He's always on the go. Telephone, lots of telephone interruptions. Yeah. yeah. And also it's to show us that Ben is over the worst of his breakdown, that he can deal with that, a belligerent patient uh, and a really demanding job. And he held it together. I think that's what it's to show us. I agree. And I did wonder whether at the time, this might be a bit, that's me overthinking probably, at a time when we're struggling with the NHS in Britain, Mm -hmm. the nurses are striking and we're not appreciating them, to show that someone who's simply a caregiver, not even a qualified nurse yet, struggling in their day-to-day life with the pressure that's put on them by caring for people. I thought it was a very good way of showing why it had to be Jasper Carrot, I have no idea. The, the BBC must have owed him something. He'll be presenting Match of the Day next. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest about it. As a society, we do demean caregivers. We, we don't do. see it as hard work. We don't see it as something which can be rewarding in and of itself. It's yeah. very much an afterthought. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And there you go. You, we had a little a little eye into how difficult that job can be. Well done, script writers. Now, from Marie Bray, who actually called us in as we were recording last week, we go to Christopher McKinney, your Christopher, Madame Berto. My, who, the voice, Christopher. Who also called in whilst we were busy podcasting last week. But here he is this week. Hello, everybody. It's, uh, it's Christopher here. What I've been wanting to talk about is Helen and Lee, actually. I've been meaning to call in for a while, and I just never got around to it. I've been interested by how this storyline has gone. Not so much in the storyline itself, it's not particularly interesting, but I've been interested in Helen's response to it. A lot of people phoned up at the time because they were concerned that his aggressive reaction to it may have been triggering for her. What I thought was interesting 
and has been interesting as the story has gone along, is that despite that, she has felt comfortable challenging him on it and raising some very difficult questions to bring to a partner, something that I don't think I would be able to raise with my partner. The notion that his daughters might not want to live with him and they might want to go to San Francisco, that's a very difficult thing to bring up with your partner. The fact that he dealt with it, with that revelation, I think positively, I think speaks volumes about the strength of their relationship, actually, and the fact that she does feel that she can confront him despite her past. Now, there may be selfishness at the heart of that, but nonetheless, I think it shows a great strength in their relationship. So I I like that. Right, cheerio. I couldn't agree with him more. Absolutely. I had not thought about it in that way, that me personally, I don't think that he reacted that aggressively. However, he reacted... Helen didn't feel threatened by it. No. Didn't. And that's the main thing. That's the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think he did. He was very angry when he found out about Mm. them going. I think that's what Chris was probably referring to. And yes, that could have been very triggering for Helen. And Helen, she, a lot of people criticize her for being self-centered. and It's all about her and all the rest of it. But she did face up to him. And knowing, having talked to the girls, really felt that she, in a comfortable enough position to tell him, actually, you have to think about this from the girls' point of view. And I thought it was, yeah, good assessment, Christopher. Thank you for that. Call in more often. I love to hear your voice. The best and the easiest way for you to record a message or a plot prediction is to go to www.speakpipe.com forward slash dum-de-dum or you can actually just go to dumdydum.com. I've actually updated the website. Flipping egg. I've done a terrible job, everybody, but I've actually updated it. The latest podcasts are now there, as well as all of the details that you need to book your tickets for the big Dumdydum Academic Archers mashup weekend. So please go to either dumdydum.com or you can go to speakpipe.com forward slash dumdydum. Don't forget the T in the middle. And there's also a link for this in the show notes. Or you can send us a voice note via WhatsApp on 0044-7957-167-696. We do need your calls in by 6pm on a Sunday UK time. And keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. Please bear in mind, you need to be at least 18 to take part. Folks, this is the People's Podcast. So we need you all hands on deck. First off, if you haven't done so already, hit the subscribe button on Apple, iTunes or whatever podcatcher that you use. Now, I tell you what, this is a serious thing here, folks. Go get the smartphone of a loved one, your husband, your wife, your eldest child. And just go to podcasts and just subscribe to Dum Dum. I tell you what, just do that. Tell them. You don't even need to listen to Dum Dee Dum. It would be awesome if they did, because you know what? Then we get extra downloads. That would be smashing. So what you do, pause the podcast now and do it. Now you've come back, right? Bask in the glow of helping your favorite podcast get more downloads. Now, secondly, the next thing you can do is to give us a five-star review. That would be awesome. Awesome. Especially if it's on Apple iTunes, because that's the most important way that we get extra listeners to the show because we go up as iTunes charts. And finally, the third thing is you can consider becoming a patron. Patron is a way of tipping creators like us, and there are different levels of different rewards. So if you just go to patreon.com, search for Dum Dum, we would be chuffed. We'd be delighted to have your support. Now, there is another way in which you can show your support. You can go to dumdydum.com and hit that donate button just like our Aaron Snow did. 
and you can become a sponsor of the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, good people, drum roll and all of those good things, it is Ah Stephen and his two-minute history. Here is an illustrated summary of... In light of Freddie's recent discovery, here's a two-minute history of the connections between the village of Ambridge and the continent of Africa. Is it very largely a story of colonialism and white saviour complexes? I couldn't possibly comment. We start in 1954 when Clive Lawson Hope, son of the squire, was courting Christine Archer. Clive's uncle Percy died, leaving Clive a farm in Kenya. This gave him the wherewithal to propose to Christine, but she turned him down, so he went off to Africa on his own. Five years later, Charles Grenville travelled in the opposite direction, turning up in Ambridge in 1959 as the new owner of the Fairbrother estate, after many years farming in Africa. Another arrival from Africa was Marjorie Antrobus, who settled in Wortley Cross in the early 1980s after the death of her husband, Teddy, in Kenya. She then moved to Ambridge, bringing with her happy memories of their evenings at the Colonial Club in Nairobi. Clive Lawson Hope wasn't the only one with an uncle in Africa. Nigel Partridge's uncle Clarence had a farm in Zimbabwe, where their Nigel was packed off in the mid-1980s following one too many drunken escapades with Shula and Elizabeth. The adventure was not a success, and it wasn't long before he was back in Ambridge, albeit rambling on and on about how, once it gets into your blood, the red dust of Africa never leaves you. Adam Macy spent quite a bit of time in Africa in the 1990s, digging wells for irrigation and in one Kenyan village, crossing local and British goats to produce a flock that had the hardiness of the local animals, but much higher milk yields. And then there's Adam's sister Kate. Her first visit to Africa came shortly after the birth of Phoebe, when she disappeared off to Morocco with her daughter to find herself. She returned a month later after Phoebe found gastroenteritis instead. Kate then left her daughter behind on her subsequent journey of self-discovery, which resulted in her discovering and marrying Lucas Madikani and having two children with him, Nolatando and Sipo. 
very good. It should have been Kenya, surely. If it's if it's the 1950s, they're still calling it Kenya. We went on our honeymoon to Kenya. Really? Yeah. Yeah, very nice. Great, great. And I read a lot of those books written in the golden age time, White Mischief. Brilliant. One of the best holidays we ever had. I fell in love with Greta Starchy in that film. What a beautiful woman. Charles Dance. That's a great film, White White Mischief. From Africa, guess where we're going now? Upper, lower, east, west side. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Royfield, Jacqueline, and all Dumpty Numbers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Agus here. It seems like our favorite docudrama is delving into a couple of hot-button issues. First, debating electric charging stations benefit for or blight on the rural landscape. Second, and I'll be sticking my oar into this one, the long legacy of racism in our culture. How do institutions such as Lower Loxley deal with specific artistic and cultural works that incorporate racist attitudes or ideas, or with honoring people, really white men, who were historically important but clearly racist? To tell the truth, I found the suddenness of this debate a bit jarring. I do think it's a good thing especially to learn more of the backstory of Lower Loxley, but I found Freddie and Nola Tondo's discussion a bit off-kilter. Nola Tondo both attacked Freddie for having not already recognized the painting's problems and then got exasperated by his desire to do the right thing. Freddie himself seemed to respond in a naive, knee-jerk way. Both Elizabeth and Lily took a more considered response to the situation. I think it reflects that Freddie is far from ready to take over the running of Lower Loxley. This issue also impacts me in a weird way, as Witherspoon is my nom de plume, honoring John Witherspoon, who was an 18th century Scottish minister from my husband's hometown of Paisley and became the sixth president of my alma mater and a signer of the Declaration of Independence. There's a big statue of him in the middle of campus. According to the Princeton and Slavery Project, Though he advocated revolutionary ideals of liberty and tutored free Africans and African Americans, he himself owned slaves and voted against the abolition of slavery in New Jersey. There's continuing discussion of whether he will go the way of Woodrow Wilson's Princeton legacy. It has mostly disappeared. We'll see. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Greetings again. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis with a bonus track. I also wanted to talk about Brian and Adam. First, the issue of getting rid of Jennifer's clothing. I had a similar experience with my mother when my father died in 2010 at the age of 90. Within days, my mother wanted to empty the closets of his clothing because the presence of it was too upsetting. The sights and smells reminded her so much of her best friend and husband of 57 years. So I totally got Brian's behavior. My brother and I accepted her wishes and quickly went through my dad's stuff. I took his wallet and a watch that I had given him. We took the rest to goodwill. It was not a big deal or stress for us. Adam, you should have been nicer to Brian. Then, when Adam found the letter from his biological father to his mother, all that moaning and gnashing of teeth when he talked with Ian. So typically Adam. I'm glad he was more mellow when he talked with Susan the next day. I think it will be interesting for Adam and for all of us to meet Patty. Will he talk like Adam? Will Adam have an additional brood of half-siblings? 
Will this and perhaps Brian's upset about Adam's approval of the expensive equipment lead to a blow up between the two of them? Or will it actually lead to Adam becoming emotionally closer to Brian? We'll see. Talk to you soon. I love double helpings of Mr. Spoon. It's just what the doctor ordered, I always think. Now, this painting. Yeah. I'm obviously, folks know that I love a bit of history. But I don't think we should whitewash history. I don't think they should take it off the wall. But what you do is you explain the context. Exactly, right. which is exactly what yeah. Elizabeth and Lily. But I thought Witherspoon was being a little bit uncharitable about the conversation because the co- conversations around legacies and legacies which are ill-gotten and legacies where our perspective has changed over hundreds of years are complicated. They are complicated. complicated. You can be on the one side of the argument and still argue for it both sides yeah and for me there was a stunning example and i think this is incredibly simple this one but about 10 years ago the afghan the taliban mortared these stone buddhas which are carved out of the rock face in afghanistan and they're like this is apostasy this is terrible and whatever and number one it's another religion and number two it's shown the face of god and these things have been there for two thousand years and they just blasted them Now, we've got to be able to, on the one hand, that's honouring a past religion and culture which was in that land. But on the other hand, appreciate and also recognise historical hurt. And for me, the significant thing is what you don't do is you don't whitewash it. You put a plaque there. You very clearly say, this is what this is. And the thing is, they don't even really know yet. This is yeah. the other thing, that, which I thought was a really interesting aspect to this, that Nola Tando, she's very clearly saying, I think, I'm no yeah. expert, go check. But I Freddie's Googled like, something briefly. Yeah, yeah. And, and as Witherspoon said, that was a very much a knee-jerk reaction from Freddie, which Absolutely. shows his immaturity, which I quite accept. But you know what, though? I'm going to slightly disagree with you. It's, it's very twitter and culture wars that we automatically take instant decisions without actually checking out all the facts. Anything yeah. that comes down on what we True. believe is ethical truth, people are like, whoa, instant hot take. Whereas actually the picture's been up there for, I don't know, a couple of hundred years, whatever. It wouldn't kill anybody actually to get an expert to come down and analyze it. it might take you a couple of weeks. Yeah. So you can say, yeah. you know what? True. This could actually just be a ship's captain who went around the world doing whatever, and it's nothing to do with the Atlantic slave trade. You don't know, but you just suspected. So I thought even that was really instructive of the times that we live in. Everyone's got a hot take. No one wants to be considered. Nobody wants to wait for the evidence. People just want to shoot first and worry about the ramifications afterwards. But anyway, then if it ends up being that Lower Loxley was built on the backs of the slave trade, then what do they do? Yeah. And what about, have, uh, have, yeah, have an episode where they go off to, I don't know, Barbados or Jamaica. And make them. And, exactly. There might be lots of little Pajita slave ex. They don't even go there, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should have a slight change in pace. And we're going to go to Jonah Man Jazz, oh, who's got yeah. a, quite a reflective call for us. Hello, this is Jonah Man Jazz. Calling regarding Jennifer's storyline. Her final storyline. My mother 
is very comparable to Jennifer in that she's the glue that holds a lot of things together and all sorts of different circles. She is moving towards the end of a very long life. She was an Archer's listener from the very first episode, and aside from a brief two-year period when she lived in Cyprus, she has listened ever since. She's the reason I listen to the Archers, and up until very recently I could still phone her with any queries I had about the Archers, and she would almost always know the answer. So, yeah, this is a tough time in my life. And the reason I'm phoning in is just to say the Archers is a wonderful institution and it holds a thread going back through our lives and just like un- unrepeated anywhere else in the world. I believe it is the longest running drama ever, a record which will probably never be broken. And even if you don't always like every storyline, and sometimes you get fed up with it. Everyone does. I think the standard of it is still incredibly high. And let's just appreciate it while it's still here. A sentiment that can, of course, be applied to many areas of our lives. Oh, what a lovely call. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us, Jonah. And we could hear you cracking the emotion, telling us the parallels between your mother and Jennifer and your love of the archers and obviously your love for your mum. Yeah. Jonah, I really feel for you with your mum, a loss of someone that you've shared the archers with as she takes the last slide and decline in her life. And thank you for your call. It's very touching, very moving. Next, we go to David. Jemai, Royfield, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dumbers everywhere. VC Maeto, it's David from Carmarthenshire. Those of us of a certain age might remember the advice to clunk click every trip. This week, it's been a case of clunk every episode. I am, of course, referring to the finding of Jenny's letter in her maxi coat or whatever kind of coat it was. And we have to believe that this coat hasn't been dry cleaned since before Adam was born. I doubt that somehow. We are also having to endure the painful existential crisis that Adam is now having about finding his real father. This, of course, is an interesting storyline, but it's really been done very badly, I think, and especially as we have to have the spectacle of Adam agonising over the letter and then throwing it in the bin, Ian retrieving it and then reading it out so that we all get the benefit of hearing the contents. It just doesn't really add up for me. Something else we could see a mile off was, of course, the reaction of Susan and Clary to the window in the dairy. It's pretty dull of Helen not to anticipate that and not to consult them and take them with her. Also interesting how immediately Susan inserts herself between management and the shop floor and tries to gain advantage. I think we often think that Susan and Clary's friendship is unshakable and long-lasting and very loyal. But actually, quite often, I think you'll see that Susan tries to take advantage of Clary and tries to enhance her own status in relation to her. Not very nice. Anyway, you asked me how I found the podcast. I think it was from Academic Archers, which I also recently found. And of course, I heard about the fantastic mashup you're all going to have in Brum in a few weeks' time, which unfortunately I can't attend this year, but I'll certainly be there hopefully in the future. Anyway, Jochen Bauer, Jochen Bopeth. Time. Thank you, David, for your call. He found it a bit clunky this week, some of the storylines, especially around Adam. What do you think, Royfield? The, I always struggle with Adam, as many of us do, because yeah. of the way that he just declaims. Yeah. So 
I never get a full range of emotion from Adam. What I always seem to hear is irritated and someone who's booming. So when Adam becomes softer, I struggle to discern that. So I always struggle with the actor. And it's the only, and it's the only actor who I have a problem with. Because generally, we stay really clear of going into actors' performances. Yes. We can't criticise them because their job. Yeah. And also, (laughs) we want them to come and sit on a stage with us and to do dum-de-dums occasionally. (laughs) But I wouldn't be true to the listeners if I didn't say, and people know this, I just Mm. haven't, I just... I and, think many and people struggle with his voice. Yeah. yeah. But what so, about what David said about Helen not anticipating, not even bothering to ask Susan and Clary what they thought about the massive window, yet another window story. But isn't this kind of Helen anyway and the whole kind of management style in the yeah. dairy that she sees herself as a good boss? And I don't think she, she's not a terrible boss. She's not. And the bridge farm lot are not terrible bosses, but they don't necessarily think about it's going to impact on the workers. And the thing is, the bad thing is a bad, they've only got two. It's not like they've got a couple of hundred. Three with Adam and Johnny somewhere around. True. But what I meant was, dare I say, yeah, in the dairy and people who are wage as opposed to a family as well. Yeah. And it's just, but it's just Helen. But I also thought she, she played Susan very well. Absolutely mm. calling out to her vanity. So thank you for that call, David. Have we got thank any, you. one more call left? Yes, we do. And it's a formerly cycling, Christine. Oh, yes. Hello, Royfield. Bonjour, Jacqueline, and all fellow dumpty-dummers. This is formerly cycling, Christine, here. Three things that I was thinking about this week. Firstly, I was so annoyed with Adam who was telling Brian he shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that at the beginning of the week and sorting out the clothes. If Brian wants to do it straight away, that's fine. He should just have backed off and supported Brian in whatever he wanted to do. Secondly, if Josh has managed happily on his own for so long at the stables, why on earth was it suddenly necessary when Lily's already agreed to come to be the second person, to a third person by the end of the week. Another thing that made no sense to me. And finally, it seems, I think, that Justin is working in the village shop, trying to work out exactly what to do and what would be the best thing to put on the electric charging point. Because if they're going to put a convenience store there, it's going to be very similar to the village shop. But honestly... Living in a village that has a community shop, which is only viable because the only paid person take up the part-time manager position, everybody else who works there is a volunteer. I cannot for the life of me imagine how a place the size of Ambridge would be able to support a properly commercial convenience store at the charging station. And if it does so, surely it will destroy the village shop. But I can see that providing good drama as Justin becomes the baddie in the village again. That's all for now. Bye. The thing is about the shops or retail units at the charging station, it's going to be for the people who are charging their cars. It's not going to be for the villagers. It's not for the village. 
Yeah. I I, a lot of people have talked about this on Twitter and face, our Facebook group, but I think, no, we're missing the point. The village shop is for the villagers mm. and people who are charging their cars. I don't know how long it takes to charge an electric car. depends on the car and depends on the charge. But if you've got 40 minutes, say, you've got to wait and you're on a journey, mm. you've got this hub that's on all the social media that you can go to and get a coffee, a sandwich, Wi-Fi. Oh, God, yeah, and you can pick up a bottle of wine and some milk for this evening at home. I, I don't see how it's going to impact on the village shop. The villagers aren't going to go there. Surely not. They'll be loyal well, to the village shop. You would think the village shop is going to be open from nine till six, something like that. This charging station, you would think, is going to be a 24 hours. Yeah. But that's not to say that the shop is going to be no. 24 hours, but it's going to be longer than nine till six. Let's say yeah. for the sake of argument, eight till Eight, sake of argument. Yeah, so at eight o'clock at night, you've run out of milk for your cup that's of tea. That's where you're going to go. And that's where you're going to go. Yeah. yeah. But that's not but, a loss to the village shop. Oh, yes, it is. Because you'd have <laughs> waited until the morning. You'd have waited until the morning. I'm sorry, Wayfield, if you're like me, and you need a cup of tea, you need a cup of tea, you'll go Goodness, anyway to get the milk. You are so Call English. Calling your neighbours. Like, <laughs> emergency. Yeah. Oh, yeah, don't get between me and my cups of tea, I'll tell you. But I do think, though, to a small degree, the village shop will be impacted. And But this is really a Cosmo or a Stephen question, but I think all of this is just being repeated from stuff in the early 90s. I seem yeah. to remember the bypass coming yeah. and there was going to be a petrol station and people worried about what it's going to do to the village shop. And yeah. there's no two ways about it. We'll have nobbled it to a degree, which is the reason why historically, as Stephen said a couple of weeks ago, there always has been these panics about the village shop. These things are not sustainable no. in a modern commuter society mm. where there is underwoods where people go and do their real your big shop with all of your frozen goods and your x and y and z you're not getting it from the village shop are you whereas no. in the 1950s 60s possibly even up to the 70s you would have done so yeah yeah, the local shop would have been the place that you walked to get things with your babies in prams and pushchairs and goodness knows Absolutely. what. Absolutely. With your friends and your gossip. But I've just Googled Ambridge Village Shop opening times. Do you know mm -hmm. there are three village shops in Ambridge, Massachusetts? <laughs> <laughs> and they're all open 11 till 5 or 6 well, till well, 22. Well, the, Ambridge Food Mart. Well, blimey. <laughs> And the thing is, I said nine till six, and I think I, may, I might have changed it to late because it's a post office. Yeah. So the post office is going to mean that they're going to open that little bit. Of, they need to be open with the, for the first post. But anyway, that's it. Good research, but wrong Ambridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all very. It's either I am it comes up with things from Ambridge, Massachusetts, or Cambridge. So there we go. Now, where are mm. we on this script? Now we go to our emailer inners, and I believe we had two this week. Yeah, Andrea sent us a message via Messenger, which is great. Now she had a bit of a speak pipe problem, so she sent this to me instead. Hi, I tried to record outside with the bird song in the background interspersed with chainsaws as I noticed the background noises on Friday's episode. Firstly, Adam and Susan in the tea room, cosy and quiet sounds. Then cut to Lizzie, Freddie and Lily in front of the infamous painting in the art gallery. Echoey, big open sounds. Just what a big gallery space should sound like. Excellent atmosphere. Now back to the tea shop. Low murmur of voices, a song playing quietly. I felt like I was there, and then a loud moo. 
in nice weather, perhaps Adam and Susan would sit near an open window or a door. But at this time of the year, how can we hear mooing unless the cows are now in the tea room? Has Helen gone interactive experience mad? Now, does any, has anyone else noticed other helpful or discordant background noises? My favourite ones are still the Grundy's ferrets. That's somebody who's obsessed with ferrets. Thank you. Really appreciate all the hard work you put into the show. And I don't mean just working with Roy Field. Big laughy uh, face. No, I really don't <laughs> understand. You, I didn't understand that at all, Andrea. You weren't listening so, properly, so no, never mind. I, I, I've got the text right in front of me and I still don't understand <laughs> that last little line. So I'm going to just move on and say we had another electronic missive and it came from Marie Bray. Hello, Royful Jacqueline Old Dom Dumas. It's Marie from Winchester. I hope you're all keeping well and had a good week. I most definitely did came back from thailand so i'm a little perplexed that brian would go at jenny's effects like a bull in a china shop when there are family and friends he could have called to help him to me his behavior was self-detrimental especially when it was so soon and raw is he punishing himself for the affair or does he feel responsible for jenny's decline or both luckily adam stepped in and saved the day I could relate to the siblings sorting through their mother's things. My sister and I went through my mother's belongings after she died. My dad left us to it, and the whole experience, though sad, was equally cathartic. It brought up happy and funny stories. We laughed and we cried, but it was an important process nonetheless. It's a credit to the writers that they touch on the everyday events of the aftermath of loss, as it touches many people's hearts in different ways. Take care and lots of... So it's a lovely message, Marie. But I think you've really outlined it there, that Brian's reaction, as a couple of the call winners have actually said in the show, was actually quite normal. But we all deal with grief and loss and then dealing with the artefacts of someone who's lost in, in, in very different ways. This is just Brian's way of trying to cope, trying to grieve, trying to get through that kind of real peak grief. And it's not to say it's right or wrong, but it was his way. But it's not everybody's. It isn't everybody's way. Well, good emailer in there, Marie. But just going back to Andrea's, which we didn't discuss because you were so busy hurrying uh, us on. Because she uh, had a go at me at the end. Oh, this okay. week, I listened to the, the Archers podcast on earbuds which i don't normally do but it's been really mm-hmm. windy here so it's listening as you're walking along within your top coat pocket it doesn't work so i put i use some earphones and i have to say the background noise is something that i've never really noticed before and i felt that this week there were it was very they were very recognizable so maybe we should always listen on headphones and you get the full gamut of the foley artist now let's hear what our social media gurus have been talking about on the Dum De Dum Facebook page with our wonderful, oh no, it's not Stephen again. Hello you two. The Dum De Dum Facebook group has had another active week. The aftermath of Jennifer's death is still being felt. Indeed, it led to a Sunday cliffhanger with the discovery of a mysterious box. Guy R. Williams was not impressed. So of course, a cliffhanger on a Sunday. What did they find? Another red herring. Elizabeth Byrne agreed. My thoughts too. Don't they know cliffhangers are for Fridays only? Goodness, what is the world coming to? We had several theories about what was in this box. Sadly, all proved wrong by Monday's episode. But Dumbity Dumbers had much more interesting ideas. 
I think she wrote a letter to each child with personal memories about each of them, said Catherine Newman. Or, she went on, admitting that everything she cooked actually came from Waitrose and she's been hiding the packets for years. Peter Bradford thought that there was a note from Jennifer. Dear children, in order to extricate your father from the financial disaster he has embroiled us in, we have decided to fake my death. Please do not be upset, as the cash from the life insurance policies will pay out enough for us to start a wonderful new life in South America. Love, Mum. P.S. Don't tell Lillian. Richard Woodfield had a slightly simpler suggestion for what they'd found. A pile of bunting. Helen's decision to install a viewing window in the dairy, and in particular Susan's reaction to it, sparked a range of responses. Zoo animals? Marvellous, said Rob Williams. Can't wait to see Susan and Clary flinging feces around. Let's start with curds and whey, Darcy Jurgensen sensibly suggested. Witherspoon was a fan of Helen's approach to dealing with resistance from her team. Tapping into Susan's sense of grandiosity is always an effective strategy. Merriweather agreed. Grandiosity, or that she has skills that aren't utilised. Denise Tomlinson wasn't convinced. I agree with Clary. They should have been consulted. It's very intrusive and could put them off. And Rob Williams added, Oh, it gets better. An intercom system. Steve Beach could see what was coming. Susan will spend all her time leaving, talking, leaving Clary to do the work. And Jan Mitchell enjoyed Susan's reaction. I don't mind speaking for the both of us. Susan, you could speak for England. Andrea Twelves was, however, a little concerned about Susan's colleague. Poor Clary is destined to be downtrodden and put upon forever. I hope she doesn't get nervous and make a mistake which leads to another food poisoning outbreak. Amidst the discussions of the work being done by an underused builder, Philippa Verica looked back to a character from the past. I miss Jason, she said. A wonderful brummy builder. He formed an unlikely friendship with Robert Snell as they redecorated the village hall, the reopening of which was ruined by posh spice, that's the Grundy cow, not Victoria Beckham, walking through the concrete ramp. And here's a teaser for you all. There will be more about Ambridge's brummies in a two-minute history in a few weeks' time. But the hottest topic for discussion emerged towards the end of the week, thanks to that painting. The Pargeters made their money in the slave trade, calling it now, said Kate Lyle. And she wasn't the only one. The two threads in the Facebook group discussing this topic pulled in at least 70 comments. And despite this being a quite challenging and emotional topic for many people, the debate was respectful and informative, showing Dumpty Dummers at their best. And on that heartening note, I will return you to the studio. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, everybody who contributed to our Facebook group. Now, we should talk about our new Facebook members should we not yes we should we've had six lovely new members this week and as with the with the spoon her reminded us we have no idea why cosmo an old boy of the friend of the podcast is on this list but let's wish a very warm welcome to leslie falconer mike spencer penny moffitt vicky timms harriet rignall cosmo ryan bloomfield jane young tracy hart and Nessie Tiger. And Carol Royston. Now, do we have any reviews, Madame Berto? Not a dicky bird. Nothing. What's happening there, Royfield? These people need to get their fingers out. We don't do. ask for much. We only ask for money, editorial time. contributions, time, blood, sweat, tears, and <laughs> musical talent, if you have it. 
the least people can do is write us the odd review. Come and on. And tell us how wonderful we are. Five stars on Apple. The there podcast, you go. Please. There you <laughs> but go. But we are on Twitter. And you can find us at Dumpty Dum, where you can join in the tweet along fun by using the hashtag The Archers with a capital T and a capital A, which helps the visually impaired to join in the fun. And I can be found on Twitter as Jberto Sanguin, where we have thousands of followers. Ooh, and it must be time now for Theo and her tweet of the week. Hello, Royfield, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. Uh, This week, alongside the erudite discussions of whether Freddy's instincts are to whitewash history and how best to address colonialism in British country houses, a thread on Twitter that I enjoyed involved Adam Hickford at Adam Hickford looking ahead to the cast list for two weeks' time. Don't worry, there are no spoilers here, but there were a lot of diversions into characters we'd love to see back on the show. And also the introduction by Angela Dobb at LMS Bossy of the concept of a fun sponge, which I presume is like a dementor that absorbs all the fun to be had and prevents us enjoying ourselves. We resumed the poll for best lines of the week this week, with all credit to this week's scriptwriter, Daniel Thurman. My three choices were these. Freddie, saying, I'm trying to promote Lower Loxley, not embroil it in controversy. Susan, saying, I don't mind talking for both of us. And Susan again, telling Adam, your edible forest has been such an inspiration for Bridge Farm. It was a fairly close race, but the winner was Susan, who doesn't mind talking for two. And here are my medals for Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's a two-hander for fans of the Beatles. Ian, at Ruther Ian, has Lily saying, Oh, Mum, I'm going to live with the Eggman, to which Elizabeth replies, Cuckoo-cachoo. And Joe, at Joe underscore DB, replied, Trying to workshop something where I am the wall, Russ, but I need to crack on, so just pretend I've succeeded. I think you have, Joe. In silver, it's Mike Hatton at Hatman21C, who famously provides us with character counts for appearances on the Archers. Adam says, Afternoon, both. No, Adam, it's Hello, you too. And in gold, it's ungoogleable at all underscore sweetness. I always thought Adam's real father was called Geppetto. That's it for this week. See you all on Twitter next time. Theo, 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 we thank you for your sterling efforts and discerning and deciding who deserves the accolade of Tweet of the Week. Props to you, madam. Now, don't forget, folks, Twitter isn't the only social media platform that we are on. We're also on Instagram. You can find us where we are at Dumpty Dum, and it's run by the awesome, the wonderful, lovely Katie. So do please follow us there. I'm also on Instagram where I tend to drag on about my dogs, my garden and walking in Britannia. You can find me. I'm simply Jacqueline Berto. Thanks as ever to all our contributors and to our social media supremos, Shambridge Fair Voices, and to our podcasting godmother, Lucy V. Freeman. Get yourself onto dumdydum.com. Get buying your tickets. Let's have all have a right royal meetup. Can't wait to see everybody in Birmingham in less than six weeks. 
Absolutely. I'm going on a crash diet. I'm going to be so svelte. My cheekbones are going to be like chiseled. I'm going to be so in shape because you know what? That's what people deserve. I don't want to let people down in terms of their visual expectations. Good for you, Rifle Brown. I'll just be a, I'll just be my big fat normal self. It's too late for me. I'm buying big dresses. Take care, Madame Berto. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Uh, au revoir. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.